0: Hi, I'm Chris McBrian from Pop Goes Your World. During the time that we've done this podcast, we've been able to make a lot of friends, none better than Perry Johnson. Perry is the co-host of the Pod Stuff podcast along with his wife Lindsay. Now, what they do over at the Pod Stuff podcast is Perry and Lindsay will interview other podcasters and help promote them and their efforts. They're great friends to the podcasting community. And they're great friends to us. In fact, they had me come on their show not that long ago to be able to promote our podcast around here. And we had a great time. And since then, Perry and I have become very good friends. Perry has just been diagnosed with stage four cancer and he needs our help. A GoFundMe page has been set up to help out Perry. You'll find the link over on our website at popgoesyourworld.com. Please consider going over to popgoesyourworld.com Clicking through on the GoFundMe page and helping out one of our very, very good friends who needs our help. Okay, so the thing I love about Perry is that he and I share two very, very important passions. Number one, we share a passion for podcasting. And number two, most importantly, we share a passion for theme songs from Generation X. Perry and Lindsay had me on their show, the Pod Stuff Podcast, and Perry and I had the opportunity to reminisce about some of these old Generation X theme songs. Give them a listen. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought <laughs> it so free. Ladies I'm and gentlemen, away you on a wing and a prayer, yes. <laughs> who can it be? Believe, Believe it or, it not, or not, it's, it's just, just me, me in Cincinnati. Yes. <laughs> oh Get well, Perry. We love you, man. Hi, I'm Chris McBride, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance
1: Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 73
0: Wally Movie Review. <laughs> Chris McBride here, along with Yancey Eden. It's Pop Goes Your World. Yancey, how are you, my friend?
1: Chris, I'm doing well. Uh, I lost my voice for a little bit. I was a little sick. Um, a little bit better now. Uh, from a pop culture standpoint i know this is a clunky intro like it always is every time you bring me in um i don't think about what to say before you ask me that's my problem uh, i've been reading uh, east of eden by john steinbeck i don't know oh, if you've read it good for you
0: a yeah classic. it is
1: um it, it it's obviously was written a long time ago and uh, some of the language and the vernacular that's mm-hmm. used is a mm-hmm. little troublesome and it's not exactly political politically correct but um there is some really profound stuff in here it's kind of like a um it's like a telenovela. It's like a soap opera almost with like all these different families and characters. But some of the things that Steinbeck says about um, just like when you realize that your father isn't like a God and he's not infallible and doesn't know everything or uh, just things about life. Um, this is super long intro, but really riveted by it. I, I've been trying to read more classics and mix them and intersperse them in between, you know, just books that I read for pleasure. And I've been thoroughly, thoroughly and like surprised and,
0: and completely enjoying it. But did you say you've read it or? or uh, no? Oh yeah, of course. And, and look at you going back and reading the classics. It's not my favorite Steinbeck novel, though. I actually, uh, The Grapes of Wrath. Oh man, mm-hmm. have you ever read The Grapes of Wrath? No, I haven't. Um, okay, it's, dude, it's definitely it, on the list, though. Put put it on your list. it's, it's it'll blow your mind. It's mm-hmm. so good. So that's an American classic right there. Um, so a couple things I wanted to mention, if I could. Um, so one thing, you know how I'm usually like, you know, slagging on millennials. It's kind of what I do. I've kind, noticed, kind of yes. the premise of the show, right? <laughs> so I slag on yes. millennials. And I'm always kind of ragging on you and millennials in general and just about how, you know, millennial films, I keep saying they're just, you know, retreads and like, you know, just remakes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just so sick of it. it I got to tell you something. Just when I think millennial films are nothing but retreads, like I said, or, you know, or if I just want to think Hollywood has no new ideas or originality, along comes Jordan Peele with his uh, movie and his script that he wrote. And have you seen Get Out?
1: I have seen Get Out, Chris. Uh, I've watched, I think, three times now. I, a lot of my friends were really late to the party too and I was trying to get people to watch it. It is a fantastic movie. It's, it, outstanding.
0: it's it fits, outstanding. It fits the
1: criteria for me of like movies that I, I, I like that they have legs to them and I like that there's a lot of just subliminal like little things that you're not going to catch immediately and that movie definitely fits the bill.
0: I thought of you when I was watching that. Oh, this is a movie that I think Yancey would like a lot because there's a lot going on like kind of under the mm-hmm. surface with it and stuff and you got to kind of figure stuff out along the way and oh man, it was good. Wow, oh, what's it yeah. ever good? I really like that. So that's one thing. So you'd be proud of me. I watched a millennial film, although Jordan Peele doesn't quite, you know, qualify as a millennial himself, right? He's a Gen Xer because he's like, you know, well, he's like 40, right? So mm-hmm. so he's at least, you know, there. Um, but uh, no, I was really impressed with that. So I, I did expand my horizons a little bit, Yancey, and I watched, a, I watched a new movie, and I actually really, really liked it. So there's that. And then, of course, to balance things out with the Gen X things, I have some news. Um, guess what? I'm going to see Fonzie. Hey! 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 hey. hey. <laughs> I'm going to see Fonzie, so I just found out that in Hamilton, Ontario, it's a city uh, outside of Toronto, um, between like Toronto and Niagara Falls, is Hamilton. Okay, I know you've never heard of it before, but anyway, so there's Hamilton, this city, and they have a Hamilton Comic Con. I didn't even know this existed. Anyway, so a friend of mine sends me a message says, "Hey, look who's coming to the Hamilton Comic Con in the fall, and it's Fonzie." Henry Winkler. So I'm like, oh, my God. I go to my <laughs> wife right away and go, I'm going to this. So anyway, I'm going to go to the Comic-Con. It's, you know, a little ways away, but – uh but anyway, so I'm going to see Fonzie. I'm so excited. I'm so happy to go see Fonzie. I you know, what, Chris, when it. I see stuff like that oh, on man. TV
1: or like events or YouTube yep. videos, and I'm like, who goes? Like, who goes to Dorkfest like that? It's you,
0: me. Like, you're the- I go. So <laughs> the thing with that, with, the, with this friend of mine, she said to me, she's like, you're going to love it because unlike when I when I go to Fan Expo, so in Toronto there's one called Fan Expo. It's the one where I went and saw uh, Mark Hamill right a couple of years ago with my son. Um, it's huge, like it's just really huge. Luckily I was able to kind of finagle my way in backstage and I was able to meet um people backstage. So I was able to meet Christopher Lloyd and I ran into uh, the guy that plays Abraham on The Walking Dead. So I was able to like talk to these people backstage which was great. I just kind of finagled my way in, but normally it's like a big event and you don't have you don't have access to any of the celebrities, right? Um but that one was cool cuz I bet Decay when I went there, George Takei. So that was awesome. I uh, love George Takei. But uh, this one apparently is a lot smaller. So there's a lot of access. And, and 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 they're saying that, you know, the guests, like in this case, Fonzie just walks around, talks to people, you know, just it's all like informal. So I'm really looking forward to meeting Fonzie. He's a little bit of an idol of mine, as you probably know. So I, I get to meet Fonzie. I'm pretty excited.
1: I don't mean this to be like disparaging about him or, or you know, whatever you like be, about be, him. but
0: Be very careful with your words.
1: But Choose he, your he's... words carefully here, young man. <laughs> Is he known for anything else aside from that one show? Like did he do other things or is Well, it really you're a just millennial kind of
0: did, one Okay, so he's done some stuff you know that millennials would know too, because he did arrested development. okay not familiar with oh, the show but what kind of a millennial <laughs> are you young man i tell you she says he done so he got into some directing and things like that and he was in like he's done some other things like the water boy and stuff like that it's almost a millennial movie it's from like the late 90s but uh yeah fonzie's his big thing but anyway so there's that so i'm very excited i get to go see fonzie but before i get to go see fonzie i have to watch another one of your movies and review it so let's go
1: I am not a rom-com guy. You're
0: the one that suggested this topic.
1: It's my favorite love story of all time.
0: But speaking of my wife, <laughs> she's actually a mermaid.
1: I like the idea of like a Canadian being deported. That's
0: not a romantic
1: comedy. I have
0: no idea what I'm talking about. And in a related story, <laughs> I'm sleeping on the couch tonight too. It's funny. <laughs> long duck dong. This or is a, a family podcast. Try this like <laughs> okay, so this week you baby watch Wally. Okay, so I usually at this point, I kind of throw things back to you a little bit because I want to get kind of where you're at with, you know, kind of why you nominated this film. So talk about this movie a little bit, what it means to you, and why you nominated it, and why you felt it was important that I watch it and critique it with you this week. Go ahead.
1: Okay, so Wally came out in 2008, which uh, I was a year removed from high school, and it was actually a couple years after that before I did watch it. I think uh, my sister had it playing for like my nieces or, or so- something like that, and I only caught bits and pieces of it. And then I went back home and watched it by myself. And to be honest with you, this is a this is a adult themed dystopian sci-fi thriller. Not a thriller, but it's definitely adult. Like the thematics of it are very more mature than you'd expect from a Pixar movie, and it's masquerading as a kids movie. There's a lot of themes to this that I really enjoy that makes this like a low key really advanced movie, and um, I just like that there's so much allegory and there's there's so many different metaphors going on here, and it's very cautionary about the future, and it's also at the same time kind of optimistic about and, and hopeful, you know, that people can uh, kind of overcome like the plight of the the human existence that we are and what we've done to the planet it's just a lot going on and I, I with very very minimal dialogue in this movie i think it actually says a lot and it's just a well-crafted like beautiful animated movie
0: no that's good enough um okay for me first things first yeah see, even when you make me watch an animated film it's a post-apocalyptic dystopian future set <laughs> in space Yancy, man i'm
1: Always true to myself. <laughs>
0: you, you you, need to expand your horizons a little. I mean, come on, bro. I mean, seriously, you need to lighten up. Like, watch a comedy. You know, like maybe an intriguing mystery or like a character study or something like that. But come on, expand your horizons a little bit, bro.
1: I've I've watched plenty of romantic comedies in my day, Chris. I, I I do expand my horizons. I'm I'm picking stuff that speaks to me and that I like the most. So like, I I'm not going to defend this. I think this movie is awesome, and I hope you I hope you feel the same way. Like I, I get that there's definitely a theme to my movies, and I think yours are especially the last few selections that we've had of yours are they're a little bit more varied. But uh, I'm trying to intentionally like pollute your mind with uh, just all of this dystopian garbage essentially like this is me trying to infiltrate your mind if that makes sense
0: well speaking of polluting this movie had a lot of that going on because it was definitely a dystopian future that being mm-hmm. said my critiques of you and your movie choices aside i actually like this movie quite a bit um i thought you would yeah I really it was, did it think was pretty good it was pretty good now i will go on record because you and i do a lot of talking outside of the show we'll text back and forth and things like that and you had mentioned this movie to me as a masterpiece i would not go that far um but i thought it was good I didn't think mm-hmm. it was great. I don't even think it was it was Pixar's best film, um, but it was, it was good. I will say it's good. Um, so where do we start with this sucker? Apparently for me, um, only two things uh, apparently will survive the apocalypse and that's cockroaches and VHS tapes of Hello Dolly. <laughs> Which I thought was very interesting <laughs> way to start the movie. The movie starts out and the first thing that you hear, I guess they're showing Earth, I guess when they're zooming in on Earth at the beginning, mm-hmm. and you hear out there. And I'm like, Hey, that's from Hello, Dolly! Because, by the way, just as a thing, I'm a total, like, uh, theater nerd, too. I'm a musical theater nerd, okay? I admit mm-hmm. it. I'm I'm the nerd who goes to the Comic-Cons, and I'm a musical theater nerd. I used to do musical theater for years, and I just love it. So right away, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Michael Crawford from, uh, from Hello, Dolly! And it was, like, from that Put on Your Sunday Clothes musical number that they do. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and so and just as an aside, if I may, because I got to inject Gen X stuff anywhere that I can and educate this, whole, that. this whole podcast is an aside. That's, exactly. that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. So Michael Crawford, I just mentioned him. He is in the movie. So he's the guy that's singing and dancing right in the Hello Dolly that uh, that Wally's watching. He used to do this TV show back in the 70s called Some Mothers Do Avum. And it was on here in Canada. And it was like this crazy, like comedy show that he, he was like this total loser. And then he also did uh, Phantom of the Opera on, on Broadway, you know, with, you know, Music of the Night and All I Ask of You and that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, like I say, I'm just a total theater geek, but I just want you to know that, that the guy that's in that is actually quite well known, Michael Crawford. But uh, no, the movie uh, itself. Sorry, back to the, the aside. I, I did like it. I thought there was some interesting things right from the get go. I thought it was interesting how um, he is like gathering mundane items. To me, that stood out right away to me. Like, you know, he goes right, he gets like a spork. And egg beaters and the bubble wrap and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I thought it was kind of funny. Like he finds a diamond ring in the, in the ring box. And of course, he opens it up and he, he sees it and he throws the diamond ring away and he keeps the box. He's obsessed with the little box. Like he just mm-hmm. keeps all these mundane kind of things. So I thought it was interesting. Again, it's the, uh, the dystopian future. Like he's obviously you've got to clean up. Like earth is really dirty. How did, how did they get that dirty? It's like mounds and mounds of garbage that are like skyscrapers tall. You know what I mean? But, uh, mm-hmm. I guess we're really, we're really messy. So I guess if we look to the future, that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, no. So, so my early takeaways were I liked it. Um, I liked uh, the fact that he was collecting the mundane items. I thought it was pretty good, but, uh, but I'll throw it back to you.
1: So I, I think the, the gigantic piles of trash, if you notice uh, the skyscrapers that you saw were actually things that he had built just by, you know, accumulating trash and whatever. And you mentioned the spork scene. That's actually one of my favorite little like endearing, charming little sequences in the entire film is where he he collects you know human things and toys and light bulbs and uh you know he's just he didn't know sorry curious. he didn't
0: know where the spork belonged remember he went he put put yes. it with his spoons he put it with his forks you know yes
1: there's two there's literally two cups yeah. and he he can't decide so he sticks it right in the middle which i just think is yeah. just the most adorable thing ever but um so i i think that like with this is going to be really tilting for you, and I know you're going to completely disagree with me, but um, they're. I think what they're trying to do I here, know, is, I
0: never disagree with you, Yancy.
1: Come on, I know there's a first for everything on yeah, the night. Yeah. It's young. Here so, we go. yeah, um, I, I think what they're trying to do with the state of how the earth looks and that it is so decrepit and completely overrun with trash and garbage and, and metal and whatever, um, it's, it's very much just like the lobster movie, which I know, hear me out. Um, it is intentionally hyperbolic. It's intentionally showing you an absolute worst case scenario just for that type of effect. So I think they're trying to show us like this is literally if, if things continued on their present course, this is the most extreme outcome that you could possibly imagine if steps were not taken and if human beings did not intervene and actually start taking care of the planet. So um, is it likely that the Earth would ever look like this? I'd hope not. Like I certainly would hope not. But I think they're just trying to say, like, hey, this is possible if we don't do something. But um, uh, where do I kick off from here? So you you like the film – are, are is there any like major themes that you can see to this? Because I think there's actually a bunch of stuff that they're trying to say, like different things that they're actually bringing attention to. Like, uh, obviously, consumerism and overconsumption is a big part of this film. And I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, I definitely recommend you guys always watch the films before we review them, um, just because it makes it a little more interesting. And we we just delve out a ton of spoilers. But essentially, like this world is. Uh, garbage and no people live on it anymore. They are up in a spaceship somewhere in this futuristic, uh, seven hundred years into the future, essentially. And everything is done automatically. People have completely exchanged all of their autonomy and free will for automation. Um, they ride around in you know electric carts. They have people brush their teeth and feed them, and everybody is morbidly, morbidly obese on these stations. And um, it's kind of again, it's it's hyperbolic, but it is a metaphor for. Uh, you know, automation and artificial intelligence, uh, consumerism, capitalism. It's talking about all those things. So did any of those like specific themes stick out to you, Chris, whenever you're watching this film or? Oh, yeah. I I, I, I think the 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 human aspect of it, not to cut you off, but the human element of it is one of the most interesting things about it, despite the fact that, you know, Wally is the main character. But what do you think?
0: I definitely uh, that did stand out to me because early on in the film, I'm watching it and then I'm like a question kind of popped up in my head. And I thought, well, if they're trying to clean up the planet. Why is he the only one that there is doing any cleaning? Like there should be like teams of robots. He's the only one. And then, right. of course, it comes out later that they, they never intended to go back, right? right. They never intended you to go back to Earth. To there. Yeah. You know, they, they, wanted to, they created that big spaceship and they just wanted people to be basically turned into, like you said, these sort of big, fat, lazy consumers of products, right? Which in itself is a pretty interesting aspect of the film, I think, because it's just like you mentioned, it's basically a commentary on consumerism right yep. so you know i thought that was really interesting um i also obviously the plant when you see the plant like it kind of it really stands out cuz you're like oh man like yeah like first of all it just stands cuz it's green and it's alive and then you're like man something can grow there like and then my first thought was like it, it goes back to like um you one of your favorite movies Jurassic Park when Ian Malcolm says um life finds a way that's what i thought of when i saw that i'm like ah man that's so cool like life always finds a way right um The other theme to me that jumped out just to go back to Hello, Dolly for a minute, not just because I'm a theater geek, um, (laughs) but the whole idea of holding hands was such an important part of this movie because Mm -hmm. Wally learns that it's like important, you know, from a human point of view, like of how people, you know, show affection or show love because he's watching the musical number when they're doing put on your Sunday clothes and they're holding hands and they're dancing with each other. Right. And so throughout the movie, Wally keeps going back to that theme and you'll notice like he only has himself. So he just puts his hands together. He's he putting, his hands, He's always yeah. putting his hands together because to him, he realized that holding hands is what you do to show love. Right. And and so he just always wants to be able to hold someone's hand. Right. And he just sort of longs for, you know, a companion to to, to share that with, which, of course, brings up Eve. Right. And I thought she was interesting. So do you want to touch base on Eve before I get into her?
1: Um. Yeah, sure. I, I think Eve is a really interesting character. Uh, she is a much newer, advanced version of artificial intelligence. Uh, she's extremely, extremely advanced. She can fly. She can do all of these things. And uh, whenever she first comes to the planet, she is extremely aggressive. She shoots at every single thing that moves. Uh, she's really hard. She's really guarded. And uh, as a whole, I really like how they're able to give these robots like an, an incredibly human kind of sentiment like even Wally who does not have a mouth he does not have a nose he doesn't really speak he makes it's more tonal what he does and he just keeps saying his name multiple times or saying Eve's name multiple times but both of the characters Wally and Eve are incredibly emotive and human like and um I, I it's one of my favorite aspects of it but uh, so what what do you what is your big takeaway from Eve I obviously don't think it's a coincidence that her name is Eve and that's a you know that's an allegory for something else but what are your thoughts
0: well I like how he calls her Eva which yeah. I thought was interesting. Here's my takeaway. You mentioned, like, she got there and she's very aggressive. She was scared, right? Or whatever. But mm-hmm. my, my takeaway on her was was a little different almost from the get-go. Because to me, what stuck out it stuck out to me was, I thought it was interesting. So you got Earth is this total garbage dump, right? Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a sh-hole. Like, I mean, for lack of a better term, right? It's just terrible, right? Yeah. But she gets there. And if you notice, she loves it there. Like, mm-hmm. she, she's running all around. And it's almost like she's free. And she's just... You can just see she loves how open it is and the space and she's flying around. You can just tell she's just amazed by this amazing place, you know, which immediately begs the question for me. is like, where the hell did she come from if she thinks this dump is a great place? You know what I mean? Did you did you notice that?
1: Um, I I don't know if she thought it was great. I think it's I think it was more in the lines that she was filled with purpose. Like if you notice though, like very quickly, she started getting extremely frustrated because she wasn't being able she wasn't finding life and her objective wasn't fulfilled. So like she was actually starting to throw stuff and blast things like she was really, uh, you know, kind of turned off because like basically she had a purpose. And without fulfilling it, I I think she felt kind of like a meaningless, like a like a nihilistic. Why am I even doing this kind of thing? But um, it's interesting that you think that she enjoyed it because, you know. I didn't kind of get that vibe at all. Well,
0: you know, I, you love to rewatch all these millennial films and you've probably seen it a zillion times, but go back and watch it again and just look for that. And you'll see what I mean, because you're right. She is aggressive when she's not getting what she wants. But if you watch when when she's kind of alone and she's like floating around and she's just loving it and she's just you can just see she just loves this place. There's a scene mm-hmm. where she's doing it. And it just that, that really stuck out to me. So that's interesting. I, I thought the, the other thing that I really liked was when she finds the lighter And then she's like, figures out how the lighter works. He didn't even know that that's what it was for. He didn't even know it's used to create fire. He just (laughs) liked it for what it was. He just thought it was a neat thing. Oh, it makes fire. How cool. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, And then obviously the scenes, like when she, when she gets the plant and she puts it in her and she goes into like sleep mode or whatever the hell that was. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then he protects her, you know, and he keeps getting hit by lightning with the, uh, holding the umbrella. So that, that was really, really Mm -hmm. cool. And all he ever wants to do is hold her hand. Yeah, like throughout the whole thing, he's trying to figure out where's her hand and trying to touch her hand and trying to figure out a way to do that. So, I mean, I thought that was really, really cool. And then um, I also like when he he builds the replica of her because he just wants to be close to her. You know, I don't know. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool relationship between two robots that don't speak. But they do it all with the actions of, like I say, her loving the freedom of this place and then also her aggressive tone. And then it turns to kindness toward him and how he just wants a companion.
1: And I do think it is really interesting, too, that like um, they're really making it a point to make him seem like he wants to be human or as human as possible. And he's very, very childlike in that regard. Like, um, you know, he's just... He's naive to everything. Like you mentioned, like the lighter. He, he doesn't know that. He doesn't know the, the diamond ring and what it's worth. He just sees a, a chunk of compressed carbon, essentially. But um, the interaction between the two of them, how they both kind of warm up to each other, you know, like he is so smitten by her. He's at first he is scared, but like he is so drawn to her because he is alone. Um, and like it's it, it's very much like your first experience with like the opposite sex, um, you know, or the same sex. It's 2018. Like get used to it, people. <laughs> but <laughs> um, it's it's it's. It really is a testament, I think, to the writing and just the voice acting in general. Um, I'm not sure exactly who were the voice actors in this, but both did a fantastic job of just, like I said, using simple tones uh, that obviously were auto-tuned to kind of sound like robots. But simple tones back and forth, and they were able to express exactly – like you knew the emotion. Like whenever she would you know, say Wally, but how she would say it, the inflection in her voice would, would let you know if she's upset, if she's confused, if she's wondering why he did that and um, – I, I just honestly like I I'm trying to think of ways that I can talk about this to to convince you that this actually is like a low key like Pixar masterpiece, kind of like an underrated you know Pixar movie. But um, I, I don't think it'll ever get the love of say like a Finding Nemo or any of the Toy Story films and stuff. And maybe that's deservedly so. But I love the fact that this is kind of like a low key, um, very atypical or or you know non typical of, of the types of you know kids movies that we would see or even you know Pixar in general. But I, I just think it's beautiful. I mean, is there Is there one, like if you had to pick one redeeming quality about this film or one thing that it does extremely well, or even one message that it's trying to say uh, that you particularly related to, um, do you have anything like that that you'd want to talk about?
0: Um, I would say the theme that jumps out to me the most is consumerism. Yeah, that's all it is. It's a major commentary on consumerism from beginning to end. There's no Mm -hmm. question. Um, Just just one thing I will jump in with. So this movie came to me very, very highly, you know, um, uh pumped up and not just from you. So one of my good buddies, he's a he's my age. He's a Gen Xer, right? But he's like a total movie buff, just like me. And um and so every time we'd ever get together, like when me and my wife would get together with him and his wife, we, me and him would always be talking about movies all the time. And so he always said, "Wally, Wally, Wally, got to watch this movie. It's unbelievable. It's so good. It's so good." So it came very very highly uh, written, you know, uh pumped up for me. And um, so I don't know, I guess maybe and then with you you know talking about how much it was i guess i expected like something maybe i expected more it's not that i didn't like it you know what i mean but i mean i thought it was good but i didn't think it was a masterpiece like i know that you you think that it is i think it's good but from beginning to end i guess it's it's a real commentary on consumerism like i mean the humans in it right around and when would you say it was made in or 2008 right yep so the humans in it right around with screens they're overweight and they're constantly bombarded with advertising, right? And so, as we mentioned, it's all about sort of complacency and consumerism, right? And and consumption really is what it's all about, right? So basically, it's modern day America, right? Um,
1: I mean that's that's a low blow, Chris. No, 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 no <laughs> offense, no offense
0: to your kidding. country. You know, as a Canadian, <laughs> but I mean, people walking around with screens, a, a problem with obesity, you know, and just all about you know fear and consumption, you know. It's I don't just,
1: think that's I I'm not intentionally being combative. I don't think that's just an American phenomenon. I think that's an industrialized Western nation phenomenon because you see that in other countries as well, where people have absolute technology addiction, uh, consumerism. Like America isn't the only country that buys stuff or like blindly follows advertising. I mean that stuff works everywhere. Um, it's it's more a culture of like I said Western industrialized nations, but it's definitely a problem, and um, you know, it, it plays into. Advertising in itself, it plays into human beings' biggest weaknesses, which is, you know, security, like, uh, you know, sustenance and reward with eating and, you know, all these things that, like, our bodies for thousands of years, like, we gravitate towards certain things because it, it gives us sustenance, it gives us energy. And that's being exploited and packaged and repackaged in different ways that makes us feel like it's a necessity versus just a, an impulsive want. Um I I love that they talk on that so much in this film. And I I think that's just like one of the, like I said, many different like themes that they're actually trying to talk about. There's, There's just so much going on in the, in the backgrounds. And if you really wanted to, you could make this, um, like this movie could have gone in a bunch of different directions. It could have been about, uh, like like I mentioned, autonomy. It could be a a lesson in free will. It could have been, you know, a purely uh, hippie, just, you know, conservation movie. It could have been something about, like, the fears of of, of artificial, artificial intelligence. Like, there's a lot of different things that it touched on, but it, it really could have gone in a lot of different directions.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and I definitely didn't mean to slag on, you know, Americans by saying that. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm not it's offended. Western. You're right. I, we're the same way here in Canada. We just can't do it year round because it's because of winter. You know, it's just too cold. We got to go back in our igloos, you know, for, for half the year. Um, but we'd be the same way. Um, the score I wanted to touch base briefly on with you okay. because it distru- – this struck me. And maybe I'm the only one, maybe, you know, because I, I bring a Gen X slant things. So when I'm listening to the score in a couple scenes, it reminded me 100% of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm talking – like there's a, there's a couple scenes where there's like this haunting kind of soft score – Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of the beginning of Raiders when Indy was um, approaching the idol. And then later again, when he was discovering the Ark of the Covenant, there was like this haunting score. It, it, I, thought it was the, I thought it was the Raiders score when I heard it. I'm like, that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Because mm-hmm. I've seen that movie so many times. Like I didn't even know the, the sounds, you know, of the score in certain scenes. Right. And so anyway, that just struck me. I don't know if anyone else out there. You know, not even not. not
1: even just like the like you mentioned like mentioned like the haunting slower um you know like really low-key parts of the score but also like the big flowing like just bombastic parts of the music too it's a lot like you know the, the same thing with this with uh raiders of the lost ark it's uh extreme highs like really really good lows and like it does set the scene and i i keep saying the same thing but in a movie where there's very very little dialogue um especially in the first act um the music really does a lot for it and i I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I didn't make the connection, the connection initially, but yeah, I, I buy it.
0: Yeah. When I heard it right away, I thought, I thought, is this John Williams score? I mean, it's not. Mm-hmm. It was Thomas Newman that did the music, but I, I, I thought, I thought, wow, it just, it struck me. Um, so going back to the humans for a sec, because I mean, this movie you think of, you know, just being about robots. But there's actually humans play a big part in it. And I think a really big part of the movie, because toward the end, you know, it kind of flips over and you start to see how the humans live and what they're up to. And there was the one scene when the guy falls over and he can't get up. And because it's like he doesn't have like his bones have deteriorated or whatever that they said, because they're just so big. But oh, by the way, I should mention, too, is there a single animated Disney or Pixar film in history that does not feature the voice of John Ratzenberger? Like. Cliff Cleveland <laughs> is in every animated film this that they've ever made, this studio. Like, it's just amazing. And yep, it, Toy Story, yeah. Finding Nemo. Yeah, absolutely. He's in every single one. Anyway, it just struck me because he's the guy when he fell over, right? And mm-hmm. I just thought – it. the other thing with him, too, is it's interesting why they keep casting because his voice is so distinct, you know? It's not like he changes it at all. He just uses his voice. But uh, mm-hmm. but they keep – anyway. Um, but, the, yeah, the humans – so. There's one scene that really stuck out to me and it's when all the screens go off and then people, they, they start freaking out, right? Cause uh, their screens are off, you know, like what's going on? And then, then these two people, it's a man and a woman look up from their screens and they notice each other mm-hmm. and they start playing around. Remember they start splashing in the, in the, in the, in the pool and they splash each other and then they even defy, the guard comes over and they defy him. He's like, you guys got to mm-hmm. stop that. And they splash him. Or they also, they noticed for the first
1: time that they actually have a swimming pool. They've been living on right. this ship their entire life and they didn't realize that they could go swimming if they wanted to. They're so immersed in technology, but yeah.
0: Yeah, so in other words, they actually start living their life instead of just watching it on a screen. Another big commentary from the movie that was a takeaway for me. That mm-hmm. was a big one. So there was like going back, like I say, the consumerism, you know, a commentary. And then to me, that was a big theme. When those humans looked up from the screen and noticed each other. It was like, hey, they started to live their life. and I thought, oh, they're making a big comment here. And it's 2008. It's more relevant today than it was then, for crying yep. out loud.
1: Yep, for sure. You know, I know you're talking about living their life. I love the one uh, line, probably one of the best lines in the film where um, the captain is talking to Otto, which – Um, Otto is very, very much resembling HAL 9,000 from uh, a space odyssey, but, um, he's talking, he basically says like, you know, the, the robot says to him, you know, you're going to survive on this ship. If you go back to earth, you're going to die. He's like, I don't want to just survive. I want to live. Right. You know, once he, once he realized that like, oh yeah, there was an earth, there was a planet where people danced and went to hoedowns. And, you know, these are things that he's looking up and he's learning and he didn't know what an ocean was. He didn't know what, uh, you know, what, what actual dirt was, anything like that, um, he realizes, like, this this is what I want to do. This is living. And these people being exposed to this and actually, um, you know, like, they even showed at one point, like, all the kids are basically grown in incubators. They're completely detached from a mother or anything. So they're being conditioned from an extremely early age since day one Ah, uh, not to have that physical connection, that that actual attachment to somebody else that isn't you know screen laden. Um, all these people start seeing oh babies, and then you know they're taking care of them, they're taking care of each other. It actually shows like people whenever the ship is t- tossed to the side and everybody's like, uh, you know, being flown around the ship. People are helping each other. They make it like an, a like a very obvious, very blatant attempt by them to, you know, to actually start co- making connections with people. Um, so I mean that that's even another one that initially I didn't think of, Chris, but I I, I just think it's really like I said, with such little dialogue, it is very inventive and creative how much they were able to say in a, a movie that is geared towards kids that lasts an hour and a half. You know oh, I mean, yeah. I just think it's so well done.
0: And and going back to that for a second, I see parallels between this and The Matrix, which is another movie that you made me watch. Because in mm-hmm. The Matrix, they have human beings basically are alive just for one reason, to be like batteries to suck energy out of, right? and. In this case, the humans exist for one reason only, and that's just to consume products. That's it. Mm-hmm. They're there, and, they, and just like you said, they just you know make the babies in incubators, and they get them out there to get them nice and fat, and just to consume, consume, consume. So, yep, absolutely. So
1: that uh, you know,
0: uh, Fred Willard can make more money. You know, <laughs> there is
1: a that that honestly, that was a weird aside where everything is animated in this film, guys, except for Fred Willard being uh, the president of the corporation. Which an, another little key cog to this guys is. Uh, basically like the leader of the entire world is happens to just be a CEO of this company this large company so like it also like t- like turns democracy on its head and that's capitalism as at its most extreme is where like basically like the people who run the most powerful companies in the world run the world I thought that was interesting too but very interesting that Fred Willard was literally pictured like in live action yes, and he's was the only live action thing I, I don't know the decision with that but I thought it was interesting there's, but, a, con-
0: there's a there's a connection between uh, this movie and Gen X and, and one that I made you watch before because Fred Willard was in Spinal Tap. Do you remember him? He had a really, really small role in Spinal Tap. I do. Yes. Yeah. Because he was the, the the kind of the guard at the uh, the Air Force Base. Mm. You know, when he was talking about his hair, oh, my hair's a little shaggy and I got to get it cut and all this. He goes, oh, I'm just kidding. And uh, but yeah, so there's a connection there. So you love to watch movies over and over again. And I love to watch movies over and over again. But the one thing that I will say, and it's a recurring thing, I'm really glad we do this podcast because I just learn so much all the time about myself. About Likewise. Millennial films. That's what it's all about. Right. But the one thing is like, I still, my takeaway from this was it wasn't imminently rewatchable to me. Like, even as I watch, it, I'm thinking like, I don't have a desire to watch it again mm-hmm. at any point, you know, whereas some of the other stuff that I've have, I've watched with my kids. Cause I got young kids, you know, I've mentioned before um, the, some of the newer stuff I'll watch over and over, you know, with them. Cause I'll watch it in you know, multiple viewings, but this one didn't strike me as being one that I would watch over and over again. And obviously That's fair. you disagree yeah. with that, I'm assuming, right?
1: Well, I mean, it's not I, – I wouldn't put it in the same – you know, level as like a Star Wars. But, um, I mean, I, I, I have watched it multiple times. I, I don't know if I would actively seek to, but it, it is one of those classic, like if the, if the kids are watching it, if my nieces and nephews are watching it, I'm, I'm going to watch it and be entertained by it. Um, I, I, that is a fair criticism, though, just because, you know, eventually, like you do want a little bit more back and forth, a little bit more of a human element, a little bit more dialogue. I, I think that's what makes stuff super, super rewatchable. But um, like I said, just be just that there are so many cogs in this. There's so much going on and so many things thematically that you can kind of engage with. Um, For me, that's why I think it's pretty rewatchable. So, Um, uh, yeah, no, go ahead. I wanted to ask you really quickly. I know we're bouncing around like we always do. But did did any specific references outside of uh, Hello, Dolly, like stick out to you in this? Because there are a lot in this movie.
0: Uh, The Rubik's Cube jumped out at me. Um, Mm -hmm. The VHS tapes, like I say, the spork, I really, really liked um what else did he do he had the like i say he had the egg beaters was pretty cool um the one like i said i think i mentioned the other one too that i really like was the lighter and he didn't he didn't even know that it made fire i'm like seriously and then um the diamond i thought was interesting but i think my t- i i liked the fact and the thing was like with hello dolly again just to go back to that like of all musicals to pick You know, to put in this one, they didn't go with one of the most popular musicals of all time. Like it wasn't The Sound of Music, you know, or something like The Wizard of Oz or something like that. No, it was Hello, Dolly. Like it was like a lesser known one, you know, Mm -hmm. and even to open up. Now, I know that it was, you know, great that the first opening line of the song is out there, you know, because it fits the movie. But even like the song, you know, Put On Your Sunday Clothes, it's not like... It wouldn't be the first one that would come to my mind as that's the the musical. That's the song that's going to drive this film. So to me, that was my biggest one was Hello, Dolly! Because it was just, it was an odd kind of, it was a good choice. I think it fit things very well, but it was an odd choice too. So Mm -hmm. it'd be neat to kind of maybe like listen to the commentary on the DVD or something and try and figure out what was going on in Stan's mind, why he wanted to pick that movie Mm -hmm. or, you know, that movie and that song to open up with. Um, So I'd be interested in learning more about that.
1: Interesting. Um, some of the references that were in this, Chris, and I, I i know you definitely got like the HAL 9000 reference from 2001, um, just, you know, like the, the auto that was that was apparently obvious that they were kind of doing that as an homage to a space odyssey. Um, I don't know if you saw also, but like they had um, uh, like E.T., At certain points, whenever she first meets or whenever he first meets her, uh, it's almost the exact same score as E.T., like the the main theme. Um, It's not the exact same thing, but they designed it to make it look like that. Um, Even like Blade Runner, like with all the advertisements that are literally talking about people having to leave like an overpopulated and destroyed world. That's the exact same thing that's pulled from Blade Runner. Um, whatever. There's a couple others like RoboCop, the way that Eve actually pulls out her gun and then it spins like in a clockwise motion. That's literally 100 percent RoboCop, um, like all kinds of little uh, Easter eggs as far as other Pixar films are in this, like uh, Rex the dinosaur is in Wally's toy collection. Uh, the Pizza Planet truck shows up in the, a, a pile of trash. Uh, the bean jar is that's from A Bug's Life is actually in Wally's room. There's lots of stuff like this. Uh, Cars makes an appearance. Ratatouille makes an appearance. Um, and just lots of uh, even old like like the lightsaber and stuff from Star Wars. There's an <laughs> there's uh, homage to that too. There's just – there's a lot of stuff going on with this. And one of the things that I love about uh, certain movies is whenever they are obviously fans of – like a a particular time period or just fans of pop culture in general, you and I have both uh, seen Stranger Things. And that's one of the things that I love about it. I've read criticisms of uh, Netflix's series Stranger Things saying that it's extremely derivative and it's just taking other ideas and repackaging them for profit, which I don't think that's accurate at all. I think that whenever you really love something, um, you express it by imitating it and, you know, drawing, uh, you know, drawing, Kind of inspiration from those things and that's what i like about this that there are so many different sci-fi movies that are referenced in this throughout the course of the movie and it just makes it really really like super interesting to kind of pick up on them as you do watch it multiple times
0: so you mentioned multiple parallels to other films and other homages that are in here i'll give you the biggest one the most overt one and one that you probably don't even know so this um the the design of wally to me is a complete homage to a 1986 film called Short Circuit. Short Circuit, Circuit. Yep. yeah. So Johnny <laughs> Five was this robot in there, and it, it looks the exact same. It was a movie with like Steve Gutenberg and Ali Sheedy and Fisher Stevens was, was it, were in it. And because uh, I remember Short Circuit 2, they made a sequel to it. They shot it in Toronto as a, another aside, because we always get on these. I remember that because when they shot it in Toronto, the big thing in the news was what they did was they wanted it to, to be New York City. Toronto doubles as New York in a lot of movies and TV shows. It just does, right? Um, so they shot it there, Short Short Circuit 2, and they wanted to make it look like New York, so it was too clean. So they brought in garbage and put it on the streets. And then what would happen is they'd they, they sh- they shoot a scene, right? <laughs> so they'd do a scene, and then the crew would take break. And when they were on break, it would get cleaned up. <laughs> and they'd come back, and they'd like Crap, we got to put more trash out because they cleaned up our trash. So it was like this ongoing kind of joke about, uh, you know, how clean Toronto is or whatever, I guess, mm-hmm. was the point. But uh, but yeah, so that to me was the most overt kind of homage was short circuit Johnny Five because it looks just like him. Like it's like it's an homage to him, I think, you know, so there was that.
1: So do you like a, do you like that type of? Like seeing other pop culture like pieces referenced in something, do you like that or do you think it's just kind of distracting? Because no, I, I no, personally I like, the like it. Of it.
0: I, I you you sorry you like you do like it or you don't? I love it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. No, I like listen. it. I like it. I like it when it's done um, when it's not ripped off. Obviously, you know when it's done as a kind of a tip of the cap, and it's done as an homage you know, more than just like a ripoff, But, uh, you know, yeah, no, I, 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 don't mind it. I don't, I don't like, I mentioned at the top of the show how, you know, just, I've been thinking that Hollywood has no new ideas and stuff, you know, for the most part. So, yeah. So I don't like it when it's ripped off, but when there's a tip of the cap to it, oh, sure. I love that stuff. I like, it's great. There's subtle ones throughout, you know, movie history. Again, going back to one of your favorite movies, Jurassic Park, um, uh, Oh, I think it was, what, what's the, the character's name? Um, the big guy with the glasses. Ned, mm-hmm. remember him? You know, what was his character's name? I, I don't remember. The but anyway, name, no. um, in multiple scenes, he's dressed like uh, like characters from The Goonies. Like just little subtle things like that. Like I like <laughs> that kind of stuff. So yeah, no. So I thought there was lots of homages in this, but none more so than Johnny Five of Short Circuit. What, what rating would you give the movie before we move on to trivia? We usually do our I, ratings. What would you give it out of 10? I,
1: yeah, I think it's like a eight. Um, like you said, I, there are definitely ways that I, I think it could be better. It could have, if it were a little more focused on one theme, I think it could have been a more powerful message. But um, I'm not knocking it in that sense. I, like I said earlier, I enjoy the fact that it, does touch on a lot of different things while not shoving it down your throat or almost talking down to the audience. It's not preachy in that regard at all. It kind of just shows you possibilities and then shows you outcomes of those possibilities. But um, I, I think it's inventive and creative. I, I do think it's super original, um, which you don't always see with millennial films, let's be honest. Um, so I, I'll give it a really solid eight. What do, what do you give it?
0: I give it a seven. I would give it a B. So I think, you know, we're pretty close on that one there. So that was my okay. thought. So overall, pretty good. I mean, you've nominated a few turkeys, that's for sure. Um, and when you mentioned, uh, no offense, <laughs> uh, but you know, I have to. You know, you thought that they were turkeys anyway. You were, you would be wrong, but you know, you would think that. Um, but uh, you know, overall, I thought it was pretty good. You know, um, again, just going back, it's just that same theme though—that dystopian future, you know, set in space and all this stuff. Like, jeez, Yancy. Man, when are you going <laughs> to nominate a comedy? And a lobster, And the lobster doesn't count as a comedy either, by the way. Like, don't. Hey, I gave you Lion King. Come on. Yeah, but it's not like just let's watch a comedy sometime, you know. But anyway, uh, time now for Fun with Yancey. Okay, Yancey, so you like this movie uh, a lot, obviously. You know, it's a special mm-hmm. movie for you. So I'm going to give you some trivia. Okay, and we're going to see how well you know this movie. You mentioned some of the homages in it, some of the pop culture references in it. When Eve is shut down, Wally plays a very classic video game that he's collected over the years. What classic video game does uh, does Wally play on the Atari 2600?
1: I believe it's Pong. It At is. Point, yes. Beating her like 8,000 to one or 8,000 to zero, which I think is really funny. It but yeah, it's Pong. It was
0: Pong. So, so you're obviously aware of Pong and its kind of place in the lexicon of pop culture. Is like the first video game of all time.
1: Correct. Every, every time I even talk about a video game in front of my mom or dad, they always reference playing Pong or just like how every old person always says that every video game ever created is you're playing Nintendo just because it's so like iconic with that. But yes, my mom used to play Pong. My dad played it. Um, But I never had,
0: I, yeah, I never had an Atari 2600 when I was a kid, but I remember like friends of mine did and I'd go over and play it. It was really crappy. Like even at the time, I was like, You're like this sucks, man is this crappy, like the <laughs> graphics are terrible it's just so dumb it's like the oh it's so bad but um the thing that got me about so we were talking about pong i remember this one buddy of mine was like hey man i got a hockey game i'm canadian so hockey's big for us right so he's like i got a hockey game on my atari i was like so excited oh man we're gonna play hockey this is gonna be great i ran over to his house i was so excited we got downstairs we turned on the tv we turned on the atari 2600 and you know what it was it was pong with like two paddles (laughs) so so you know how there's like those two those two like i don't know what you call them those like lines where the ball bounces between well i had two on mine and he had two on his that was hockey it was supposed to be like a goalie and then like a forward i guess it was the atari 2600 was crap okay anyway the uh the robots that are in the movie right they mostly just make mechanical sounds right they don't talk Mm -hmm. a whole lot but all of them were voiced by one actor ben burt Who's actually a sound designer of all things? So Yancey, can you name the uh, the sci-fi film that Ben Burtt is best known for creating the sound effects for? Uh, I don't
1: know, so I'm just gonna guess Star Wars.
0: <laughs> oh, oh good. Yes. Is
1: it really? It is. Yes. Very oh, well. Done. I was just trying to be a little piece of just just because
0: we always talk about Star Wars, but okay, yeah, good for me. No, it was. Okay, yeah, he did like the voice of R two D two and like the lightsaber hum. The blaster guns, like that, the, the heavy breathing of Darth Vader. He came, you know, he came up, he put um, a little microphone down inside a scuba regulator and breathed. And so he was just super inventive. Um, okay. I, here's a millennial question for you. The character Eve, we've mentioned her quite a bit here on the show. Do you know that the design for Eve was actually inspired by which um, ubiquitous millennial item? Um, Which millennial give item? Give me a hint. Which millennial item that fits in your hand? Oh, an iPod or an iPhone? It is an iPod, yes. So there you go. It's the iPod inspired her design, apparently. So, okay, Wally. It's an acronym, Yancy. What does Wally stand for?
1: I know it's Waste Allocation Something Something. It has something to do with waste, but I'm not sure what the whole acronym is. Yeah, it's
0: Waste Allocation Load Lifter Earth Class. Okay, so uh, we mentioned Eve. What does Eve stand for? Uh, that I don't know. It's Extraterrestrial Vegetation Evaluator. Mm, Yeah, kind of a tough one. So uh, we mentioned uh, awards on this show a lot. So Wally was actually nominated for five Academy Awards, Yancey, but it only came home with one statue. Can you name the Oscar that Wally won? Wow.
1: I mean, it's not going to win like Best Picture or something, so it has to be the animated feature one, right?
0: Yes, it is. Very good.
1: Best
0: anim- animated feature. It won Best Animated Feature Film. It was also up for uh, Best Original Music Score, Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound Editing, and Best Sound Mixing. But it came home with Best Animated Feature Film. Okay, so the director of the movie, Andrew Stanton, we didn't talk about him too much tonight. But uh, he's also known for directing other Pixar classics, including ones we mentioned tonight, like Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. Now, in addition to his animated film work, he's also directed two episodes— of this Gen X inspired television series, can you name it? Uh, I cannot. It's too bad because you mentioned it earlier in the show, and that's Stranger Things. He directed two. Oh no way! Of Stranger Things, yes, he did. Very very cool. Okay, so you did pretty good. You got a couple of them. You didn't get them all. Some of them were hard. You know, whatever. It's all good.
1: Um, hey, com- compared to how I normally do, Chris, this was like a grand slam. Oh, I'm, it was I'm like it was like an inside the park home run. You know, it was, it was huge. <laughs> yeah. Always sure. just, I'm always just looking to not get blanked. That's that's really, or or just say something that's really stupid and embarrassing and then I'll get tweets about later. Like, how the hell do you not know that?
0: Uh, maybe we'll play another round of uh Pokemon or drugs someday and we'll have some fun with something <laughs> like that. We'll see how, <laughs> you do, or, or I'll bust out the questions about the original Star Wars trilogy like the last yeah. time. God, that was funny. Um, okay, so it's this time of the show now, it's time for me to nominate a film. For you, and I mentioned it at the top of the show that I went to Fan Expo, and I was able to run into Christopher Lloyd, and so there's that, and there's also the fact that last week you mentioned that you've never seen this movie, and I almost went through the microphone, young man, and took you out because I was so angry that you've never seen it. So next week, you and I are going to go back. To the future, Yancey, and you are going to watch Back to the Future because you've never seen that movie, mm-hmm. unbelievably, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. How well does that movie hold up? It is an absolute Generation X staple, as I'm sure you know, and we are going to come back next week and we are going to talk about it. Are you up for the challenge, my friend?
1: I'm up for it. This needs to stop like me not seeing movies like this that... I I know of all the references, I've heard them and, you know, seen them referenced a million different times, and yet I still haven't seen it. So it feels good to kind of be forced to rectify this,
0: Chris. That's why we do this podcast, Yancey, because we expand each other's horizons, right? I challenge you to watch movies that you've never seen and you're able to watch these classics and I get to watch uh, dystopian futures uh, where, you know, there's lots of waste and that kind of stuff. So we both kind of grow in the process, don't you think? Yep, absolutely. All right. If you, anybody would like to, to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at C McBrien or at Yance Eaton. You can always head over to PopGoesYourWorld.com. All of our contact information is there. Reach out to us. Shoot us an email. Get in touch with us. We answer back. We'd love to have uh, to hear from you. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Yance Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C McBrian or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.